0: I would say good news and bad news with regard to 2022. The good news is after two years of COVID, things largely returned to normal in Sacramento. I would say the bad news is after two years of COVID, things largely returned to normal <laughs> in California. Good morning,
1: HR. I'm Mike Coffee, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at GoodMorningHR.com. Despite what is often referred to as a mass migration of businesses leaving the state for Texas or Florida, California still leads the country in the number of employed persons within the state. Regarded by most observers as one of the most, if not the most, employee-friendly states, Employment laws and regulations in California are so unique that HRCI has a California-specific certification for HR professionals. Given its size and progressive labor laws, what happens in California might be seen as a bellwether of where federal and state employment law may be trending over the next decade. Joining me to discuss California employment law is Michael Kalt. Michael is a partner at the San Diego law firm Wilson Turner Cosmo, where he helps employers and HR professionals stay compliant in an always changing California legal landscape. He is also the government affairs director for Cal SHRM, the state Sherm council. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Michael.
0: Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleasure to be here.
1: So as I said, there's a whole HRCI certification just for California law. Um, but Generally, how would you describe California's labor law landscape to an outsider?
0: I would say the analogy I use is we are on the front lines. And I say that in a couple respects. First, you said um, what happens in California may be a bellwether. I 100% agree with this. I use the old cliche, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But what happens in Sacramento quickly spreads across the United States. And I would say we kind of have a perfect storm here in California. Right, we have, if I use the numbers 61 to 18, or 61 to 19 and 31 to nine, those aren't college football scores. That's the makeup of our assembly. So we have super majorities in favor of the employee groups in both chambers, veto-proof majorities, and we have a governor from the same party. And so right off the bat, almost anything that gets passed by the legislature can get enacted into law. Plus, unlike Texas, where you might have preemption provisions, we don't. And so whatever California does, well, then LA does, San Francisco does, Bakersfield does. And so you're dealing with 13 different paid sick leave laws, 25 different minimum wage ordinances. So it's a challenge.
1: Limitations on what employers can do about criminal history in San Francisco versus Los Angeles and at the state level. It's all over the place. Yeah. We, uh, we deal with that in our, in our, in our relationships with our California based clients. So you talked about some of those kind of uh, differences. What are the, if, you know, for a, a practitioner, HR practitioner in Texas or uh, Montana or wherever, what are some of the major differences in California employment law that would, you know, that would really indicate you're in, we're not in, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore?
0: Yeah, I often joke that if you want to know what you can do in California or can't do in California, just think about what you can or can't do in your state, and it's the opposite. <laughs> um, but, but more um, specifically, I would say a couple things. One, um, our equivalent of the Family Medical Leave Act, whereas that's 50 or more employees, now applies to five or more employees. And whereas in a lot of other states, what you might consider to be best practices, whether it's paid sick leave, bereavement leave, things of that nature, those are all mandated in California. So anything that might be a good idea elsewhere is probably a law in California.
1: So here in Texas, our legislature meets every other year for 140 days. Sometimes we have a special session to you know, hash out something. And their main job is to pass a, pass a budget and kill a bunch of bills. Uh, what's, what's the legislative cycle and process look like in California?
0: Well, what you just described in Texas probably explains why so many Californians are moving to Texas. We're the complete opposite of that. We have a two year legislative cycle. So, and they're full time. So begins about January. So we just began the first year of a two year cycle and it runs all the way through September or October and it's not limited to budget. It is limited to whatever is the limits of someone's imagination. And perhaps because it's a two-year full-time cycle, the legislators who are elected feel a need that they have to pass laws to justify why they're there in the beginning. So on any given session, we may have 4,000 bills introduced. And what perhaps distinguishes us from some other states, whereas you may have 4,000, but very few make it through the process, of those 4,000, probably 3,000 are making it to the governor's desk. And of those, anywhere between 85 to 90% can get signed into law because Governor Newsom only vetoes somewhere between 12 to 14%, depending on what's in the package.
1: And so I'm assuming your legislative body is bicameral. You've got a House of Representatives and a Senate or something like that. And... Are those So you've got all those folks for that entire two-year session, so they, they are all reelected at the same time? Is that how that works in California?
0: Very close. We have a, an Assembly and a Senate, and the Assembly has two-year terms and the Senators have four-year terms. So every two years, the entire Assembly gets uh, re-voted in, and then every four years, you'll be having an election for Senate, election for Governor, and then those Assembly members being up for election again.
1: What are they? I mean, are these full time jobs for these legislators being a a senator or an assembly member?
0: I would say yes and no. I would say most of them view it as such. um, But I don't think the pay for a lot of the positions is high enough to be able to um, let you live comfortably in California. So it wouldn't surprise me if some people have some pay time um, paid work. But as a general rule, yes, they view it as a full time job January to September, October.
1: Interesting, coming from a state with a, what we often refer to as a citizen legislature, where almost everybody has a real job and they just, you know, uh, tell us what to do for a few months every two years. So, so we're in, uh, we're recording this in, in January, and your this, uh, this episode will be released in February. So, what happened in twenty twenty two that that might be indicative of the kind of world you live in and the kind of things that are gonna that are gonna affect employers come, uh, I guess, now. Most of that stuff, I guess, kicks into the beginning of January. Is that typical?
0: Usually kicks into January the following year. Um, I would say good news and bad news with regard to 2022. The good news is after two years of COVID, things largely returned to normal in Sacramento. I would say the bad news is after two years of COVID, things largely returned to normal in <laughs> California. And, and by that, you know, we're back in regular session, full size of legislative packages, no limits in terms of what could be introduced. The only silver lining, such as it is, um, we only had about 25 or 30 bills this last year. I say only because I think we're still number one in the nation in terms of most employment laws, but that was sort of a down year. And then we also had fewer laws of an earthquake-type nature. We didn't have a paid sick leave. We didn't have a dramatic expansion of our paid family leave equivalent. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, family medical leave equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did hold, have a number of changes. And, and some of the more significant changes and in some aspects we were catching up with the rest of the nation on some things, and then some things we were modifying things we'd recently passed. So for instance, uh, we introduced a law mandating bereavement leave this year. I think a couple other states were ahead of us on that. And one thing you'll find out about Californians is to echo Ricky Bobby, if we're not first, we're last. So anytime someone gets ahead of us, we're gonna catch up and then we're gonna try to pass you. So we had bereavement leave. We um, also provided protections for marijuana usage limiting an employer's ability to discipline employees for recreational marijuana usage. We also um, expanded our uh, Family Leave Act requirement and paid sick leave to allow time off for a designated person, not simply family members, but now designated persons, meaning pretty much anybody, somebody wants to designate for those purposes. And then of course, a huge focus for us over the last few years has been on pay equity issues. And so, over the last few years, you probably saw California had passed laws prohibiting uh, consideration of prior salary history and requiring that we um, provide salary ranges to applicants upon request. Well, we decided to go further this year. And so, we're now requiring that employers post the pay salary information in the job posting itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to California or Colorado's laws? Is that a
0: the kind I think that one's heavily modeled um, in yeah. Colorado. and and perhaps New York cities as well.
1: So like, let's just go through those that you mentioned like bereavement leave. Um, When California says you've got to give somebody bereavement leave, is that, can you just say, okay, we're giving X hours of PTO and you can use some of it for bereavement leave or is it, you have to have time set aside specifically in a category just
0: for bereavement leave? You have to allow them to use it for the purposes that would qualify for the leave. So upon the death of a family member, they have to be able to use that time for bereavement leave purposes. Um, That just gives them the time off because it's unpaid, but they are allowed to draw upon PTO and other things you may have set up to help pay for it.
1: And how much time is that?
0: Up to five days. Up
1: to five days. So an employer has to grant up to five days or is there a scale based on... Tenure, or is it?
0: No, it's it's five days. I'm sorry. Yeah, they have to be five
1: five days. Interesting. Wow. And uh, okay, I uh, I've I've got a family member who's used my own death twice to get out of uh, out of work, so uh, she would have ten days. Okay. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Um, What about marijuana usage? Um, And we're seeing there's a lot of those, you know, increasing laws around the country, especially at the municipal or the county level. But um, what's what's california's take on 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 marijuana right now as far as usage cuz what 2017 it became recre- recreational use became legal i was in california i was in oakland in january the second week of january of 2017 and there was just like a cloud over the whole city it was uh, it was it was pretty skunky so what's what's the what's the rule, what's the rule now for mar- employer consideration of marijuana
0: Yeah, so right now, California statewide, we allow um, recreational medicinal purposes. With regard to the employment side, the issue was, well, under what circumstances can they discipline employees? And one of the concerns they had was that employers were still disciplining employees for conduct that was otherwise legal. And so we've now amended our family, I'm sorry, our um, Fair Employment and Housing Act to prohibit discrimination against employees for off duty or away from the work site use- usage. So you can't discipline people for using what is otherwise um, a legal product. And secondly, we're changing our testing laws. Uh, the concern being that the testing was only picking up if an employee had used marijuana at some point, but wasn't picking up active impairment. And so they've directed employers to begin using new tests to actually test for active um, psycho psychoactive um antigens that would show actual impairment as opposed to hey they might have used it three weeks ago
1: can they do random testing or does it have to be uh reasonable circum you know, reasonable suspicion uh post-accident type testing
0: um i believe it's going to depend on the industry but as a general proposition you're probably going to want to be doing it um upon reasonable need as opposed to just randomly but again it's going to be somewhat somewhat industry specific
1: and 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 Really, it's only current impairment, which is interesting because we we do drug testing too, and the impairment technology is not that reliable either. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of disagreement in the, in the in the industry about how accurate that impairment testing is. It's you know, but uh, it's above my pay grade. I just I just trust well, look, what the scientists say.
0: you know. Well, that sounds like a good um, venture if you or I could figure out a way to yeah. come up with the new test that everybody uses.
1: Yeah and so paid sick leave what does paid sick leave look like now in in california or will with the next whenever it's implemented
0: so right now what we have is we have three days off and basically upon need for yourself or for a family member and the change that was made this last year was to also allow you to be able to use it for a designated person so it doesn't have to be taking off because your son husband is, is sick, you can now use it for whomever you designate as that person. And you can only, the employer can limit you to one designation per year, um, but it doesn't have to be a family member. So that was a change this year. The change I expect in the upcoming session will be to increase the levels from three days to five days in terms of the statewide bill, in terms of the amount that you could take off. And of course- so designated, California,
1: I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, and then, of course, in California, because we don't have preemption laws, once we go ahead and pass it to five days on the statewide level, then, of course, San Diego, L.A., San Francisco are probably going to have to bump theirs up as well above that.
1: And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. On March 8th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Ethical Considerations in Talent Acquisition. We'll discuss the relationship between individual and organizational ethics and engage in an interactive conversation around a number of common ethical challenges that we face in recruiting, interviewing, and selecting employees. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. And you can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after March 8th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit, for free. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half an hour of recertification credit. To obtain the research information, visit GoodMorningHR.com and click on Research credits. Then select episode 84 and enter the keyword, Left Coast. That's all one word: L E F T C O A S T. And now back to my conversation with Michael Kalt. You mentioned preemption. Um, this is uh, we're in session right now, and we have we don't have preemption in Texas uh, because nobody ever dreamed that you know our cities would get so nutty. But of course, so many Californians have moved to Austin that we're now having to to deal with some some of those things, and uh, we and. and Preemption died, I think in the calendars at the very end of the session last year or year before last. And and it's on the, it's on the docket again this year. And hopefully we'll, we're all hoping certainly we get some preemption because like California, Texas is a really big state, 254 different counties and Lord knows how many cities and it's hard to do business and you know in a place in multiple jurisdictions and keep track of all these little you know paid sick leaves and you know we have uh we did we do have preemption on wage control uh wage related issues so PSL got struck down when a couple cities put in paid sick leave uh but that designated person that, is, do you have to designate the, you know if if joe gets sick this year i get my days or is it just wait when you can just when somebody is sick you designate hey, i'm going to use my my time for this person, then you designate them?
0: I would say it somewhat depends upon how the employer sets up the policy because the employer can limit the employee to one designation per year. So you could say, hey, you're going to have one designation per year and they can make that in advance, or I suppose they could use it the time they want to use it and then they're limited to who that person would be. But if you don't have a limit on it, then theoretically they could use it for whomever they want as many times as they want.
1: But you only get one designation. So, that, but the idea is that I guess that that people who aren't married, don't have kids, don't have immediate family, but are caregivers or have you know significant others who they're not you know who they're not legally connected to maybe uh, want to you know but they want to give care of somebody who needs that assistance. That's the idea, I guess,
0: behind that. That's exactly it. the concern being that the nuclear family that was sort of the definition for FMLA and our PSL purposes didn't work as well in the modern environment where I don't know if you've seen this TV show Modern Family where you may have right. a whole host of different um, relationships. Yes. exactly.
1: And so what are they doing uh, on the pay equity front? Because I, I know y'all have long had, you know, for a number of years, the salary inquiries prohib- prohibition, Uh, What what, what else is going on there on pay equity?
0: Yeah, the two big changes this last year were to require that employers post the salary range within the job posting itself so people can go ahead and see it. I would say three. That was one. Then secondly, the requirement that any current employee who wants the salary range for their position can ask for it and you have to provide that to them. And then third, we have this requirement that larger employers need to annually submit what they call a pay data report to the um, DFEH they've now expanded that. So you not only have to include that information for your employees, but also labor contractors. If you have a certain number of labor contractors, the idea being that a lot of employers, kind of the way water sort of gravitates Mm -hmm. or moves around that because they were tracking for employees that employers were hiring contractors. And so now they want you to go ahead and include that information for contractors. So they have a holistic view of what everyone's getting paid.
1: So that sounds like that's, that's the the real power down, I would guess, for most employers on those on those of those three issues. Even if you are reporting it, uh, it, it becomes like your EEO ones or something else. It's just another administrative burden at the end of the year. Plus, you're perhaps putting Exhibit A in in, in some plaintiff attorney's hands at some point or some state regulator's hands
0: uh, by how you how you respond to that you hit the nail on the head, so I would say two things about that. One, when the law was initially initially enacted a couple of years ago, employer concerns, were this was going to be one more thing we have to do. And they said, well, you can just use an EEO one. And now they've gotten rid of that and said, you can't just use an EEO one. You have to actually go ahead and submit a report. And then secondly, employers were worried, well, where's this information going to be able to go? And initially they were saying, hey, don't worry, we're not going to be making this public. And now um, they are going to be making it public, and then the concern is, well, you know, who's going to be using this information for what purposes?
1: On the the employee asking what a salary range is for for the my current position, and I want to know where I'm at in the range, I guess. But does that apply to every employer, or is there a certain number of employees that that would
0: a uh, that an employer would trigger that? Well, for the job posting, in terms of mm-hmm. posting the salary range in the advertisement for the position, that's only for employers with fifteen or more employees. Now in the that's states. pretty, what's that?
1: 15 or more in the state
0: or is it? I believe it's anywhere. Okay. I believe it's anywhere. Yeah. So it's pretty onerous. Um, but with regard to providing the pay scale to a current employee upon request, that's employers of any size, not 15 or more. And of course if you're 15 or more, it's not much of a difference because it's pretty hard to be smaller than 15.
1: So that means, I mean, that does mean a small employer with three, five, 10, 15 employees that doesn't have an HR department or uh, you know, and certainly doesn't have a comp plan other than I'm the owner and this is why I can afford to pay right now. They have, does that, do they, how do they respond to a request? Like, that? I mean, I, I'm assuming California is like, well, I should never say California is like all the other places, but I mean, the majority of your businesses are probably small to small, you know, small to medium sized businesses. And a lot of them are, are small, you know, uh, family owned type businesses. And I guess I'm just, trying. Does, how, do, how does an employer like that comply if they don't have, I don't have salary bands. I've just got, I'm paying you 15 bucks an hour right now or whatever the, I don't even know what minimum wage is in California is it $14 or 15 or.
0: It depends on where you're at. Uh, 15 or oh, 50 is, is the statewide version okay. as of two weeks ago. But of course, a lot of municipalities are significantly higher.
1: Okay. So, and so I, you know, I'm saying, you know, let's say it's 18, this is why I can afford to pay you. Is that you know, and if, but if you're, if you're threatening to leave, I may kick it up two more dollars. Is that what, I mean, I don't understand. I'm not sure how a a small employer would reply to that, that, that inquiry fairly and not get in trouble on the regulation side.
0: I I think you're probably going to be safe in that circumstance to say, Hey, this is what I've reasonably determined is the the pay range for that position. Um, I think you're going to be fine for that.
1: Yeah. And the employee will always be at the top of the range, whatever you quote them. So, yeah. Um, That's interesting. Okay. So as employers start to get ready for all of these things to, to roll out, what are the major things that employers who have locations in California need to be thinking about? And, and, you know, if all this goes into effect next January, a lot of it goes into effect next January, what do they need to do in the next 11 months to really make sure they're ready for it
0: are you talking about what's
1: on the agenda for
0: 2023 or what happened in 2022 that just took effect
1: oh i guess it just took effect okay so what happened in 2022 that just took effect and what do they need to be doing right now to make sure they're compliant then
0: yeah i would say you need to be looking over your policies um for a couple things one updating for bereavement leave purposes secondly updating your cfra and your paid sick leave to make sure you're allowing the time off for designated Tell us persons. what CFRA is. I'm sorry. That's our California Family Rights Act. It's our state okay. law equivalent to the Family Medical Leave Act. Okay. Um, that would be looking at your um, equal opportunity policies uh, to make sure you're not discriminating against anyone for marijuana usage away from the workplace. And then we also had a rule, of course, um, a lot of states responded to the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs on abortion rights, Um, California did the same. So we had a bill there that um, protects employees on the basis of reproductive decision-making. And so you cannot discriminate against an employee because of any decisions made related to contraception usage or reproductive services, which would include having had an abortion. Um, So you would need to look at your policies there to make sure you're not discriminating on those bases and then I would look at um, your job posting requirements to make sure where you need to, to have the job salary range posted and that your frontline supervisors know to um, turn over that pay range information if um, requested by a current employee. Those are just a couple of the things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I and on that pay range posting, I've seen in Colorado, New York City, where employers are saying the range is between $15 and $200,000. Is 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 there you got any do you have any read on how that would fly in California?
0: I'm going to guess that will not pass. Um we did recently have some um frequently asked questions posted on the DLSE on this, and I would say you have to have a reasonable basis for the range that you came up with. So if you said hey it's between sixty-five and seventy-five thousand dollars, depending on your experience, that things of that that nature, you're probably gonna be fine. Something between one and infinity is probably not gonna get it done.
1: And so we're in 2023 now, which seems really weird to say, but um, what's on the next two-year agenda? Then, what you know, what do you think the the big things that uh, legislators may do to employers in
0: in California? I would say there's a couple things that are definitely coming down the pike. One, paid sick leave is almost certainly going to increase. Um, I think it'll go from three to five days. Um, what we're hoping to do via CalSherm, and I'm sure the chamber wants to weigh in on this as well as you know, recognizing that's likely to happen, to say, hey, if we're gonna do that, can we have some preemption um, help for us here? I mean, that's particularly important when you think about working remotely now. You know, my San Diego employees may be working in Los Angeles now, so now I'm subject Mm -hmm. to three different laws, California, San Diego, and LA, and if God forbid they spend one day a week working in Glendale, then I'm subject to a fourth law. So we'd like to have preemption. Um, Predictive scheduling, very likely to happen. This year, um, LA just passed, um, a fair work week ordinance. San Francisco has one, um, fully expect California is going to try to do something on a statewide basis. The question being whether it'll be limited to particular sectors or if we'll go broader
1: than that. So so by predictive scheduling, you're really talking like 48 hour notice before your schedule changes or something like that. Some, some mix of notice before somebody gets called in.
0: Exactly. A certain deadline by which a schedule has to be posted and then a limit on any changes that could be made. And then, of course, California being California, we're usually requiring that any changes that are made after that time period would involve increased compensation to the employees.
1: Okay. Of course.
0: Yes. And then I think workplace monitoring is going to be a really big issue. And in two respects, there were two really big bills that were pending last year that Didn't happen, but we expect they'll come back. One will deal with the employer's ability to monitor employees through use of electronic monitoring for their remote employees. So checking when they're working, where they're working. Um, There'll be something along those lines. And then again, saying, we don't like to be behind anyone else. We know what Illinois has been doing regarding biometric information. We're trying to pass a law that's very similar to it. Um, We're just hoping we won't have the same experience that they've had in uh, Illinois with it. But I think that that will definitely be back back as well. That one seems less likely to be enacted. But of course, the votes are always there and it will be a big push.
1: I just had uh, another thought. I'm back on the paid sick leave. And so that's got to be, you know, right now you said it's three days. And and you think it'll it'll be increased beyond that to maybe five or something?
0: That's my guess, three to five. And
1: and so, and that that can't be commingled with a regular paid time off uh, pool
0: that you may give your employees, right?
1: It can be actually. Oh, it can be okay. So how does that work?
0: Well, it can be. You just have to provide a certain amount of time that can be used off, and if the paid time off can be used for the same purposes as the paid sick leave law, then it can count.
1: So, if I've got an employee, and let's say, you know, we we do, you know, three, you know, fifteen days of paid sick or of a PTO on an annual basis, and in February that employee burns through all their PTO, but then they get sick in May, and their PTO before the all fifteen days are just used for, you know, a, a vacation in the, uh, you know, in the, the French Alps, but then now now they're now they're sick in May. Does that PTO that they used for fun still count against what they had set aside, what they could use for PSL or does it have to be, did they have to use five, at least tell me five of those days of PTO were used for illness? Does that make sense?
0: I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. Interesting.
1: So, but if they use all their PTO for whatever reason, there's still, does the PSL, does the employer point just back to it and say, hey, you used your PTO already or? Or, or is it just a, uh, or is it just a thing we'll have to figure out as we as we go along?
0: No, there are very sp- specific rules on that. I just can't remember them. Oh, and okay. the oh, okay. I, w- I wouldn't want to quote uh, the yeah. wrong thing to people. But I know that there are abilities in advance to have alternative plans rather okay. than specifically designated PSL. But there are very specific rules about setting them up.
1: So they at least gave you some flexibility as an empl- if an employer is particularly yes. more generous than what state law is. There's there may be a way to structure your your paid time off plan around that correct so we're running up on the end of time but in 2022 343 thousand more people moved out of california than moved into california it's the highest loss of any state in the country does anyone in california leadership seem to recognize that as a problem is there any conversation uh or in the i'm sure the business community is saying something about it but um is there any conversation at the leadership level in California that, hey, this is a
0: problem and we need to
1: figure this out?
0: To be honest with you, um, sadly, no, no, that's 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 crazy. Well, well, and I, would, I, I would say in part, um, they sort of deny that it's really even an issue. Our lieutenant governor recently posted a story about how notwithstanding the 500,000 have left that California ranked pretty high um, in, you know, happiness scores and some other categories, and said, "See, it's not really a problem if people leave." So I don't think that they're really that that concerned.
1: Well, I guess if, if all the unhappy people leave, I guess that's the case. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and that may be what they're thinking. Now, um, you know, the rubber has to hit the road at some point, and you know, we went from bragging a year ago that we had a seventy-five billion dollar surplus, to now we're talking about a twenty-five billion dollar deficit that may capture you know one's attention and then secondly california is not immune from the labor shortage that you know other people are suffering from and we do have this really interesting dynamic because i think you mentioned manufacturing in you know texas we have so many white collar headquarters up in you know silicon valley but it seems Mm -hmm. like all of our manufacturing is being you know shipped out to other states and so you have this huge gap between the really rich and the really poor, but most of our middle class seems to be moving for a whole host of reasons, including affordability reasons. So I think sure. it will capture the attention at some point, but I don't think that's a focus just yet. Well,
1: that's all the time we have today, but thank you for joining me, Michael. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can find him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. and Until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.